content of this podcast is provided as general informational purposes only. It is not intended for, nor should it be used to replace professional behavior intervention and advice. This is Sissy. And this is Susan. And we are Function Junction. Behavior matters. It really does. And you know what else matters, Sissy? Before we you know, get into part three of Debarshi's amazing conversation, he had asked, um, for me to clarify a couple of things that were not 100% accurate. Did just want to point out that he was in a residential facility for one and a half to two years, not three, like I had suggested. And with regard to the stayaways, there was really only one formal stayaway agreement. He did say that he had heard rumors of administrators suggesting to other students that they not hang out, but there was only one formal uh, stay away agreement. You know, Susan, I'm really glad that Debarshi clarified those things. I, you know, we want to be accurate. And I also appreciate that he is kind enough to say, hey, I, I, there were a couple of things that were wrong rather than getting angry with us about something. And he's just the kindest man, just such a kind man. Yeah. He really is. So, um, listeners, uh, buckle up. We start back up with him discussing his desire to be a teacher and to help other people who have autism, but other disabilities as well. So we hope you enjoy. Okay, so keep going. So you realize that we our kids are at risk and there's something that you want to, you told me yesterday that you have a purpose in life. Yeah, I really want to be a teacher at some point. And uh, I want I want to be an educator because I had so much trauma from how educators, or particularly admins, most of the teachers were fine, uh, but particularly the administration, how they treated me. And so I thought, what's the better way to change that than, you know, learn to be one of them? Uh, mm-hmm. Not not in terms of like behavior wise, but, you know, you yeah. put those positions where you can benefit other students who have autism ADHD, bipolar disorder, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, because I was uh, balked at a lot by the admins and that didn't help. It caused trauma for me and I still struggle with that. I don't want that to happen to other students, you know? And I think that also kind of goes, people think, you know, when we go to school, it's about tests, it's about examinations, it's about uh, mathematics, English. And that's only part, I think... I think students need to learn something from teachers. They need to learn that they, I think that they take on how their teachers live their life and they emulate it to some extent. And, and so the thing is like, I want to live a life that my future students hopefully would admire and would want to, you know, perhaps pursue, you know, because at the end of the day, Test scores, they don't mean much. They don't make an individual. You know, it's really the individual characteristics of people, kids especially. And I'm pretty sure the vast majority of teachers love their kids, you know, regardless of whether they're a troublemaker or not. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, I do want to work within the education system because I think the education system needs a lot of reform. And I'm into IT. I mentioned that. So I'm actually, I want to, I want to be a computer science teacher, a computer science, mathematics teacher, something like that. And um, I am going to interrupt you because I I have so many thoughts that if I don't say them, I'm going to forget one, the the exact words you used yesterday, because I wrote them down was you want to help prevent the same damage. And we know a lot of people who are on the spectrum who are teachers and you do too. You know, our friend Nicholas Gillerman 
is mm-hmm. a teacher. And, you know, as you talk about, you know, test scores and all of that, you know, Sissy and I are sitting here shaking our heads and like, you know, raising my arms. And I promise all of our listeners are going to be doing the same thing because even though our listeners are educators, many of them are educators um, and behavior analysts and different people, they also, I am going to generalize, but I, I think we would all agree with you that the test scores are not nearly as important as the individual, you know, and that's why mm-hmm. I'm hoping that your interview tomorrow recognizes that you have the skills and also that you're an individual with, you know, your own personality and things like that. But anyway, I did interrupt you and I apologize. So nope, uh, don't worry about it. <laughs> Well, and while we're interrupting you, I'll just go ahead and because there are things like to me, a piece of it is also representation, right? I mean, how are we supposed to meet the needs of people on the spectrum if there's not representation there? Um, And that that would be amazing. The other piece is as we're trying to navigate what's best, who better to help solve that issue. You're at a high school, a kiddo's having a problem, and you step in and say, hey, I don't know if this is how he's feeling, but I think if you can ask some of these questions, we might be able to get to a solution. Because families send their children to school assuming that the adults around them are there to support them and can be trusted to help them. And um, I think they're going to get a much better chance at that happening if there's someone who can say, again, I don't know if this is how he's feeling, but I hear some questions I think you might want to ask him to help us find what's happening here. I think that'd be fantastic. So. And yeah, I think I think a big portion of the issue is it seems like when um, an autistic individual is kind of put in the corner, their feelings are not at all cared about, which is ironic because we expect autistic people to have so much empathy for others, but we don't have any empathy for them, you know? And that's, that's really, uh, it's, it's really frustrating. And it just kind of feels like we're told to adopt to other people, you know, rather than, you know, you know, the entire spiel about neurodiversity, yeah. whatnot. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and Gary Mezabov used to talk all the time or, or, you know, one of the, articles that people always go back to is the idea that there's almost a culture of autism, you know, and we expect people who have autism to learn our culture, you know, the the neurotypical culture, but nobody is expecting some understanding of a neurodivergent culture. Yeah. Well, yes, we have to, you know, if, if there's going to be an expectation of people sharing experiences, you got to try to be understanding. Yeah. You know, diversity, God, I could sit here and talk to you for days. So you mentioned the whole concept of empathy, and there's a, a YouTuber, her YouTube name is Agony Auti, A-G-O-N-Y Auti, A-U-T-I-E, and I really love her. I use her film uh, videos of quite a bit in training, but one of the things she talks about with empathy, and I, I think that I think I, I want to hear what your thoughts are on this. She talks about how autistic people don't have empathy unless they have experienced the situation, right? So her example is, you know, if I'm playing video games and I'm frustrated, she would be like, I don't really get it because I don't play video games and I don't care if you pass the next level. That's weird. But if I were frustrated about photography because she's into photography and drawing and things like that, if I had said, you know, oh, God, I can't get this, you know, photograph the right ISO or what have you, you know, (laughs) 
she would totally get it. And she would like over empathize, like, oh my gosh, you're going to get it. Do you need some help? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm curious because you have experienced a lot of stuff. And I wonder if you would be more empathetic to people who have also experienced stuff than if you would to maybe someone who like me, um, I don't know, I like to cook and I'm, I don't think you're a huge fan of cooking, right? Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. Um, what I would say is that so there's this misconception because if people think that when they say autistic people don't have empathy, that means they're narcissists. That means yeah, right, totally, a completely inaccurate, you know, uh, bad person description. You see, there's a difference between having empathy and caring. Autistic people care deeply, but it's relating with other people that you know we tend to call and I, to, to my to, to my understanding misconstrue as empathy. So, I love the way you just said that. Yeah, yeah, that was profound. That was huge. That I'm sorry, was really we had a little great. moment of silence here. As yeah, we I mean, seriously, that you don't have it, but you care, and you do. You are such a caring person. You're a good, good dad to your dog Joy, and <laughs> you care about your friends, and you care about I me. Mean, you care about your family. You care about a lot of things, and people, and animals, and hobbies, and. It, you know, your job and interviews and tests and all of that. And then you may not have, that's, that's fascinating. I really love that. Well, thank you. I, I guess, I guess I, I recognize that now because a lot of people in high school and a lot of people, even in college, to some extent, they had this idea that, oh, well, he can't empathize with other people. That must mean he doesn't care. Mm. That's different. You know, that's the difference between a narcissist and somebody who's autistic Autistic people tend to care deeply. Now they don't necessarily know how to show it properly, but you know, they they care deeply. Narcissists they don't. And I dealt with a narcissist in high school. Uh, I'm not going to say her name, but uh, she damaged me emotionally. In fact, autistic people tend to be the targets of narcissism rather than being you know narcissistic themselves. I mean, we are all selfish to some degree, of but narcissists totally different. Like 100%. And I love the way you said that because I don't know anyone with autism who has narcissistic traits. But unfortunately, I know a lot of people who are neurotypical who have, are narcissists, meaning including my ex-husband. So yeah, so that's, that's really cool and profound the way you said that. And I hope all of our listeners repress, rewind and listen to that again. Debarshi, we have already taken up almost an hour of your time and I promised that we wouldn't. But I really could go on for a long time. Sissy, but do you have anything that you want to ask or say? Well, I, I kind of touched base along the way as we were talking, but I would say that I really wish that they had been able to identify you when you were in kindergarten. You know, um, your academic abilities probably made people not look at the other pieces as problematic. Do you remember struggling a little in elementary a little bit. So I, I wasn't always a good student. Like even in high school, I, I, I graduated at the bottom half of my class. And that that kind of has, you know, I, I dealt with like... Even though you um, were a GT. Exactly. exactly. And so it, it's kind of weird because I was gifted and talented, but I still struggled with grades. But in elementary school, particularly, I remember in third grade and fourth grade, I would hide my homework. I would, um, I would just put the grades and stuff 
that I had. And I just like randomly fill in like answers on tests and stuff. And I had all of these grades that, that were just like being hidden in my desk because th that time my desk had like this huge hole in it that you can keep stuff in. And so I did struggle with some things like that, but eventually I adopted more of honesty trait. So, you know, I, I, I started doing my homework in fifth grade. I was a really good student. You know, I just, it took me a while just to get back on track, but yeah, there were little issues here and there. I remember one of the things that I got into trouble for was I'm a very affectionate guy. I tend to hug people. I, uh, when I was younger, I used to kiss them on the head or the cheek. Oh. I've been suspended for that before I, I got suspended in middle school for that. And, um, it's, it's, it's stressful because you don't have any like bad intentions, no. but, but, um, I've had to learn that, you know, people have different love languages and, you know, I'm still kind of working on it. And I think the good thing for me is like, uh, you mentioned my friend, Nicholas, he's coming over, uh, and oh, different Nicholas. We were talking, I was talking about Nicholas Gillerman, who's the teacher, oh, but that's right. Yeah. Your, your friend Nicholas is coming over. Yes. Okay. Sorry. And, uh, so the thing is like, the great thing about being autistic is that I don't have a lot of people that understand me or care about me, but the ones that do, they keep coming back regardless of the mistakes I make, regardless of, you know, the sins I commit because they see something else greater in me. Now, uh, whether that has anything to do with being a child of God as a Christian or uh, just that, you know, Maybe, you know, I have certain talents. I have, I'm more than just a problem, you know? Okay. <laughs> yes. And, and, you know, we, no kid deserves to be treated like a problem. And so the people like Aaron, people like Nick, my friend Joy, yes, I did name my dog after her. Yes, um, I forgot about that. <laughs> yes. I always think that I am very lucky. Even if my friends, you know, they yell, we yell, if, even if we have disagreements, and they don't talk to me for a while, I know they'll come back to me, you yeah. know? And that's, I never had that in high school. I yeah. mean, Kathy, yes, Kathy was the one friend that did that. And when she couldn't anymore, I, I, I totally have understood and forgave her for that because I was really not a good friend to her and that was not okay. But, um, you know, in, in college, I made some real good friends that actually care about me, that actually see my value, see me as a child of God. And that means a lot to me because I did not have that when I was in high school. And really, what, up until that point in my life in college, I, I didn't really have somebody who would be understanding of my mistakes, understanding of my flaws and accept me regardless. Well, so Debarshi, you know, you talked about people understanding and coming back to you, and I hope that you include me in that group as well. Yeah. And um, now that Sissy knows you, I know that you can include her in that group as well. Yeah. Thank um, you. You have just blown me away with so many different things that you've done and said. And, you know, keep in mind, listeners, I don't know if I mentioned we mentioned this, but Debarshi's only 25. <laughs> so he's really kind of an old soul, you know, when it comes to things that you've done and said. And there are a lot of people who are, you know, 65 who don't have as much insight um, and, and self-awareness as you do and who are not autistic. So I, I just 
I am so proud of you. I, I cannot, I, you just totally made my week. I mean, that talk about being thankful for something. I am thankful for this conversation and I'm thankful for you not going with, you know, those threats and still being here to share your amazingness with us and everybody. And I wish you the very best of luck tomorrow. I'll be thinking about you. I'm going to make a note when we finish up. In closing, is there anything that you would like to say to our listeners that you might not have already said? Yeah, I would say that if you have somebody with autism or really somebody with any sort of disorder in your life, the wrong thing to do is to exclude them, to seclude them, to punish them for behaviors they find it very difficult to control. Now, that doesn't mean we have an excuse to commit anything we want, but it does mean that we need to handle the situation in a different way. And, you know, that's the thing with, I mentioned the admins and how they treated me because, you know, nothing that they did was effective. Right. Perhaps in the future, uh, in schools and whatnot, when people understand and identify these behavioral patterns within autistic kids and uh, people who have other psychological disorders or whatnot, perhaps they'll be more accommodating. And uh, the, the, the goal would be to help children survive, not just academically, but socially mm-hmm. as well within the school environment. You know, I went to high school really like always feeling like, oh, I could be expelled at any moment. Mm-hmm. No kid should have to think through that. So yeah. I remember that. I remember that. And you know, a lot of the things, um, a lot of the consequences, and I use quotes. Really, all they did was piss you off. I mean, I remember. You know, they they just really made you mad. You know, and it wasn't. Well, yeah, but it, it didn't help. It, it didn't de-escalate the issue, yeah. right? Oh my gosh, Debarsi, you're amazing. So. Thank you for sharing that. Anything else to see that you can think of? No, I, I appreciate so much um, you talking with us. And I believe there are many, many nuggets in what you've said that will inspire others. And um, if you're not journaling already, I would say, please start journaling because you have a book. <laughs> uh-huh. 100%. Yes, you really do have a book, Debarshi. Thank you so much, Debarshi. And we will definitely have an update once you get your job and all of those wonderful things and the weather gets better and you go outside. Sissy, God, I could just literally talk to Debarshi for days. I I really, I almost hated for that conversation to be over. And I, I love, I love it when you ask guests if they have anything, you know, pieces of advice or things that they would like to share. And, I, you know, it just doesn't surprise me that Debarshi said, Yeah, you know, if you know somebody who has autism or bipolar disorder or any other disability, basically, you know, just be nice. And it kind of reminds me of our, I think we had a motto last year that you and I kind of joked about every once in a while. And I love it. And I'll say it again, you don't have to get it to be kind. And, you know, I think I still want a t-shirt with that. You do not have to get it to be kind. So let's all be a little kinder in 2023 anyway so wanted to give you a little bit of an ethics question you know we had talked with Debarshi about his late diagnosis and his you know early memories of elementary school and you know he with struggles with his homework and how he was a great student in fifth grade and you know, it just made me think about how so many times we see kids in classrooms, generally classrooms, especially classrooms, and we kind of go, oh, 
put a put a little red star next to that guy. You know, I think he or she might be on the spectrum. And so, you know, we've seen things happen over the years. And so the question for the day is, if you have a child in a clinic or in a school and you suspect that that child might have autism, you should A, tell the student or the client, B, hmm. tell the parents of your suspicions, C, request an evaluation, or D, ask for a staffing with the key players to discuss the possibility of an evaluation and obtain consent from the parents. What do you think? Well, I've actually probably seen all of those things happen at one time or another. You know, telling a student that they have autism is definitely, as a teacher, not my job. You know, as a school professional, not my job. As a stranger, not my job. For a, a person on the spectrum, their family should be the ones to talk to them about that. Some families prefer that their child know right up front so they can be thinking about, oh, yeah, this is hard for me because I have autism. But this is easy for me because I have mm. autism. And other families don't want that. And yeah. I respect that. Right. Yeah. And then telling a parent. Hmm. So I guess I'm not just going to walk up and say, oh, by the way, your child has autism. Well, right? because you're because not to render a diagnosis. But even if you were exactly. in LSD. Yeah. It, in the school systems, even if I was a licensed specialist in school psychology that we call LSSPs in Texas, I'm not going to say that because it takes for school systems a multidisciplinary team to make that diagnosis. As a teacher, I do think I have said before to parents, I am not the person to do the diagnosing, but I want, it wouldn't be a service to you if I didn't share some things with you. And I see, you know, here's some characteristics that I'm seeing. Do you see these at home? Mm -hmm. Is this something that, you know, you think we should move forward with? So I'm not just going to run down to the LSSP office and say, hey, I need to start an evaluation on a student, you know, in my classroom either. So the requesting an evaluation is probably not something I'm going to do. So probably D is, you know, that very best bet. I love the staffing idea and parents are key players in this. I guess one thing is I might have a parent have a heads up about what the staffing is going to be about in a gentle way. And especially if I say to the parent, because this has happened to me before, mm-hmm. I'm seeing these characteristics and the parents have said, yeah, I, I see those characteristics. I, I can tell you we don't want an evaluation for that. And yeah. I said, oh, OK, great. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of people out there who have not been formally diagnosed for that reason or other reasons um, that may be personal to the family. I remember one time you were talking about you know, families letting their children know or not letting them know. And I'll never forget this. I was in one of my districts years ago and she had a social skills class. The teacher had a social skills class and they all come in and they're sitting around a table and she's getting ready to do a lesson. And this one kid walks in and he's like, you know, his brow is furrowed. He's like, I don't know why I'm here. This class is stupid. And other kids go, well, I'm here because I have autism. Well, I'm here because I have Asperger's. Well, I'm here because, and the kid was like, I do not have autism or Asperger's, which he did, but his parents had chosen not to let him know. And uh, he went storming out of the class and went to the counselor's office to try to get, you know, his schedule changed and all of that. It was just a big nightmare. So, yeah, we probably need to know that information before we put them in class for social skills. So, and I will say this about the family, at least one of the families that said, 
yeah, we're, we, we see those things and, and the kid never got diagnosed and he did just fine. So um, sometimes, well, a lot of times families are right. Yes. So, Sissy, you are correct. D, holding a staffing to discuss the possibility of an evaluation and always obtaining consent from the family. So kind of an easy one, but, you know, we have seen it all and we have seen people say, to the parent that they think that their child is on the autism spectrum without having any licensure or certification to be making that diagnosis. So we hope you all have a great break for the holiday. Most of us are on break now. If you're not, we hope that you will. And we cannot wait for you all to hear our amazing, amazing guest and his story for our Christmas show. So Until then, thanks so much for listening. Have a great one. And a shout out to that great editor, Troy Payne. Thank you so much, sir. Bye-bye. Bye.